Do you know, I almost feel superfluous because so many points that I've got in my message have come out already in the worship, in our time together, and you think, well, do I need to preach? Well, yes, I do, but hey, let's go on, shall we? So, as uh, Matt said, we're launching this morning uh, a five-part series on prayer, and we're going to be looking at questions. What is prayer? How and why should we pray? When should we pray? Looking at all these different issues over the next few weeks now. Just see if I've got the right one. Wonderful. So there will be five sessions altogether. Uh, the first one is this morning, Talking with God. In two weeks' time, I think Nancy will be speaking on pause and be still. Um, why do we pray? How do we pray? Which I think Robin, I can't remember who's doing number three. And then Matt's already mentioned the final one, sharing stories or asking awkward questions or answering awkward questions. So that's uh, the series over and take us up to Easter. There are other things that are going to be slotted in between, so it won't be a straight five-week series. Okay, so let's start off, shall we? What exactly is prayer? And if you were to ask different people, I think you get different answers. I have, uh, in the chaplaincy, I work with some Anglican friends, and I often notice that when we come to pray, it'll be, let's say a prayer. And for them, prayer is a noun. It's not a verb. If you talk to others, if you talk to a Muslim, it will be five times a day, down on their face, facing Mecca. That's prayer. You go to the Society of Friends or the Quakers, prayer for them is silent contemplation. So what exactly is it? Well, I want to suggest that it's really all about building our relationship with God. And that theme has already come out this morning. God has invited us into a relationship with him. And prayer is how we communicate with him, talk with him. And it's, notice it's talk with him, not talk to him or talk at him. It's talk with him. It's meant to build a relationship. It's often said that a strong marriage is built on good communication. If you don't communicate, the, you know, the relationship isn't going to go that far. Same is true with God. And prayer is the means whereby we share with God. And Jesus gave us a model prayer, didn't he? He gave us the Lord's Prayer. And have you noticed it starts with relationship? Our Father. At the get-go, the very foundation of that prayer is an acknowledgement that we have a new and a living relationship with God. And I'll be touching on that in a bit more shortly. He then goes on to talk about our motivation. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's touching on our motivation. He then talks about uh, give us this day our daily bread. We begin to ask for things. We begin to expect God to move through prayer and actually change things in the world. And it schools our attitude towards one another. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. So that's all that's in the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to do a detailed exposition of the Lord's Prayer. Um, no doubt you can find all sorts of books on it. In fact, Pete Gregg's book, I've only read part of it, but Pete Gregg's book uh, in this respect, um, How to Pray, is, is really very good. And in fact, I, when I was reading it, I found he was touching on things that are really beyond my heart. So that's great. 
So how do we pray? The thing is that in Scripture, there is a huge variety. We find, for example, that Jesus often prayed in solitude. It says that he used to take himself off and spend time with his father. There wasn't a set time of the day for that. Sometimes it was first thing in the morning. Other times it was last thing at night. Other times it was all about. It was all night. So it's in solitude. But then you move into the book of Acts, we then find that the emphasis there is all about the church, the people of God together coming in prayer. So on the day of Pentecost, they're waiting on God's presence. They're praying. We find that prayer can involve asking for things. So in Acts 12, Peter's been arrested, he's been thrown into jail, and the, the saints, the church, gather together and they ask God, set him free. <laughs> One wonders how much faith was there, because when he turned up at the door and banged on the door and said, let me know, who's this? And when in fact a serving girl went to answer the door and came out, it's Peter there. No. <laughs> but they were asking. That was all in prayer. It also involves listening. In Acts 13, we find that uh, in Antioch, the prophets and the teachers got together to pray and fast. And what happened? In the midst of that, the Holy Spirit said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've already called them. So they were listening. Other places, and particularly in the Psalms, excuse me just for a minute, my mouth is getting ever so dry, it involves Thanksgiving and praise. There's a place for giving thanks. But also in the Psalms, it often involves lament. How long, O Lord, how long? By the waters of Babylon, there we lay down our hearts and we wept. How long? You see, it's not all about one way of doing things. And God wants us to be real. He wants us to be honest. And if you read through the book of Job, Job said some absolutely outrageous things about God and to him. He almost shakes his fist in the face of God and says, I want you in the courtroom because you're dealing unfairly with me. Now, the problem was his theology was totally wrong, but that's another matter entirely. Uh, it was the same theology that his friends had. At the end, though, this is what the Lord says. My servant Job has spoken honestly. He, you know, despite all the outrageous things Job said, God did not haul him over the coals and said, slap on the wrist, that's not the way I am, learn about it. He did reveal himself, said, where were you when I created that? But my servant Job has spoken honestly. So we are expected to be honest and to be true in coming to God. But what's really on my heart this morning is to try and share something what I believe God's heart is in prayer. Because ultimately, prayer has its origins in God, his desire to relate to his people. He's invited us into a relationship with him. And I've already said, prayer is how we communicate with God, where we interact with him and he interacts with us. 
I once came across a book, and the fact is, I, can, I found it on the web the other day. There's a daily devotional, Invading the Privacy of God. And I have to say, I thought, oh, no, really? Because it gives the impression that somehow God has wrapped himself up. Oops, sorry. And, and you've somehow got to battle through and invade his privacy and knock down heaven's walls. It's not like that. It's not like that. He brings us into relationship. And that's the ground and the foundation of our prayer. It's our relationship, one that he initiates. If you've put your trust in Jesus, if you've asked him to be your Savior and Lord, you have a new relationship with God. And this came home to me so clearly. I, I, the night I put my trust in Jesus, 19th of March, 1967, I remember I went home. I was living in a hostel out at, uh, out at uh, Tadley. It doesn't exist anymore. They demolished it some years ago. But I remember getting back to my room and I thought, well, I'm a Christian now. I suppose I ought to pray. And what struck me is this. You see, a bit of my background. I was brought up as a sort of a Catholic. I used to go to Mass every week. And I knew all the prayers, the Lord's Prayer, the Confession, the Creed, Hail Mary, all of that stuff. And so I came and I thought, well, I better pray. And what struck me afterwards, and it still sticks in my memory, is I turned to God and I simply said, Father, Father. And even now, 53 years later, when I pray, when I address God, the most natural way for me to talk to him is to say, Father. And I didn't realize why this was until I came, some while later, I came across this verse in Romans chapter 8. For you have not received a spirit of slavery that leads you into fear again. You have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, I'd put my trust in Jesus and he'd done something by his spirit in me so that naturally I just address God as Father. And since then, he's reiterated that. He's reiterated that, the fact that I'm his son. And that came out again this morning in some of the, in some of the stuff we were singing. Again, a few years ago, I was at a men's weekend when we were in South Church. And I was reflecting at this men's weekend. I had some time alone. I was reflecting on the circumstances of my birth. See, because when I was born, my mum and dad weren't married. I was 11 months old when they got married. This was 1946 I was born, February 13th. So two weeks' time, I'm 74, just to save you doing the math. Okay? But I remember I was reflecting on the circumstances around my birth and just mulling it over and praying about it. And I just felt the Lord say, but to me... You see, so often my dad used to call me a bastard. I thought he was just being insulting, and then it turned out, to a certain extent, he was speaking the truth. But as I was praying about that, the Lord said to me, you're a true son. And to every one of us who have put their trust in Jesus, who have committed their way to him, he says to you, you're a true son. You're a true daughter. You're my kid. That's the relationship. That's the basis on which our prayer life should be based. And then secondly, 
Oh, hang on, I should have put that up. <laughs> he brings us into relationship. But he also invites us into his presence. And again, there's no set form of words required. In Isaiah chapter 1, Yahweh is having a bit of a moan at Israel, and he says this, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? So he's really having a go at all of the formal prayers and the sacrifices and everything else. And then, in verse 18... This is what he says. Come now. Let's talk it over. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. But he invites us in. He invites us into his presence. He invites us into a conversation. We find this in other parts of Scripture as well. In Isaiah 55. We've all heard it, haven't we? My thoughts are higher than your, your thoughts. My ways are better than your ways. And I've heard that so often used to excuse. We can't really understand God because his ways are so higher than our. Listen, it always helps to read it in context because what the Lord says this is, and this is Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord, look out for him, search for him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He's opening the way up. He's even saying to the wicked, listen, leave it all behind and come and find me. I'm willing to be found. I want to be found. And this thing about my thoughts, it's almost as though he turns aside to the, I suppose, the Pharisees, the people, the, the religious people, who would say, oh, you can't do that. You can't come to God like that. He says, listen, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You would exclude the hoi polloi. You would exclude the rabble. I welcome them in. And we see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? Um, and when you see that, that in fact God invites us in, it changes the way we begin to read Scripture. Reading Genesis 3 is all about how Adam and Eve messed up. And it says the Lord came in the cool of the evening to spend some time with them. And then I want to ask you the question, when you read the next verse, what do you hear in your head? Because God says... Adam, where are you? Here inside. So often, I think, because we've grown up in a culture which sees God as the stern law of giver, the, the Victorian father, the one who's willing to punish the slightest, we hear, Adam, where are you? And then when he says, did you eat the fruit of the uh, tree I told you not to? How do you hear it? Because when you see that he's actually inviting a conversation, it's more, Adam, son? Luke says Adam is the son of God. Son, where are you? Come on, let's talk it over. What have you done? Did you eat that fruit? It changes the way we see who God is and how he relates to us. He's our dad. He's our dad. 
We find this in the New Testament, where in Hebrews, the, uh, the writer of the letter to Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened up for us through his, uh, the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with confidence, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith. The way is open. He invites us in. We're to enter with boldness. But it's not just that he invites us in. Do you know what? He delights in us. See, a couple of weeks ago, this you may think, what on earth am I going to be talking about now? A couple of weeks ago, my youngest daughter and I spent the day together up at Elstree Studio. We had been to see the recording of Pointless. Are you familiar with Pointless? <laughs> okay. Lucy, when she said, Dad... I'd like you to come. She said, but please, please, please promise, don't shout out the answers, which tells you what it's like in my house at quarter past five on a weekday evening. <laughs> right? I was reflecting, however, that after we got back and everything else, excuse me, I was sort of reflecting on the day, and it was good. It was nice seeing Alexander Armstrong, and boy, is that Richard uh, Os Osman. He is big. But what struck me is this. The thing that was really, really struck me is this, that the best part of the day was traveling up to Elstree and traveling home again and spending time with my girl. And we talked about things that she'd faced as a teenager I didn't know about. Well, she hadn't told me before, so in one sense I'm not that poor of an excuse for a father, but nonetheless. And it was precious that time. And I was reflecting on that, and I just felt this thought suddenly just drop into my heart. The delight and the pleasure you had in spending time with your girl is but a pale shadow. It's a poor imitation. It's a wavery reflection of the delight that I have when my children come to be with This is God speaking. He delights in us. Thank you. <laughs> yes, he can see the <laughs> right. He delights in us. He, and it's not just you know me being sentimental and thinking, "What oh, isn't nice to spend a day with Lou?" No, in Scripture, Zephaniah. This is what Zephaniah says: "The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult." over you with loud singing. Do you realize when you come to God bursts into song? That's how his heart is. In Psalm 149, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. That's us. Every one of us who put their trust in Jesus, you are part of his family, and he welcomes us in. He wants us to come in. So, let's enter his presence. And I just want to encourage us, uh, both together now, but also in our own time, just simply present yourself. There was a book I came across. It was written for children, I think it was a prayer book. Hello, God, it's me, Anna. And it's almost as though when we come to the Lord, we just need to say, Abba, Father, it's me, Eric. It's me, Ben. It's me, <laughs> Sophie. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> it's, you know, 
We don't need to go through any sort of ritual or formal words or anything like that. You can, I mean, if you find it helpful, by all means, do it. But you don't need to. We can just present ourselves in his presence. And this did come out earlier, but I want to emphasize this. Listen, I think it was something that Sophie shared. Failure, sin, whatever, need not be a barrier. In fact, I would go as far as to say that if you somehow think I can only approach God when I've got this thing sorted out, when I've kicked this habit or when I've got out of this inappropriate relationship or when I've got, uh, you know, whatever it is, we're actually getting the whole thing back to front. Going back, again, 50, 50 odd years, I wanted to be baptized uh, in the autumn of 1967, but I didn't feel I could be because I was a smoker. I'd smoked, I suppose, since the, my mid-teens, and I, I couldn't kick the habit. I tried and I tried and I tried. I almost feel a Queen song coming on, but I just couldn't. <laughs> I just couldn't kick the habit. And I, I wanted to get baptized, but I can't. And then one evening, Barney said to me, sorry, not Barney, the Lord said to me, go and see Barney about getting baptized. And I said, but Lord, what about the smoking? He didn't argue. He just said, go and see Barney about getting baptized. So I went and saw Barney about getting baptized. A cigarette has not touched my lips or my fingers or anything since that moment. You see, I'd got the whole thing back to front. I thought in order to get ready for baptism, I had to sort it out. And God was saying, no, you've got it the wrong way around. Come to me, and I will sort it out. And this morning, if you are in a situation where you feel you're in a mess, and you've got to sort that mess out before you can come to God, I want to say you've got it the wrong way around. It's back to front. Because as long as you hold yourself back, you're holding yourself back from the very person who can help you sort it out. And it doesn't mean to say he's going to just let it carry on. He will require change, but he will be enabling you to make the change. It's not something you have to work out and sort out for yourself. So, enough of talking. Gee, I think that's a first. I've actually kept it down to about 20 minutes. Um, but <laughs> you can cheer if you wish. <laughs> enough of talking. I want us now to actually come into God's presence individually. Hello? Oh, good. We're going to start off by going through the Lord's Prayer together. And after that, I want us to spend four or five minutes just coming before the Lord individually. Just presenting yourself. Here I am, Lord. It's me, Gwen. Or it's me, Roger. It's me, John. And just allow him to minister to you. Make known to him your request. If you've got a particular issue you want to pray, then fine, bring it, bring it to him. But do it. We'll do it for four or five minutes, and then after that, I'll hand over to Robin, and he'll uh, pull the whole thing together. So let's, together, shall we, uh, go through this prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Let's pray.